Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. I want you to um, just get your Bible in your hand or your device, whatever you have there. And uh, we're going to uh, continue our series on... There's a worshiper in you, Jesus in the tabernacle this morning. And uh, we're going to uh, talk about the colors of the tabernacle and some things that are pertinent to that. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we're so thankful for your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace today. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to touch me and flow through me. Thank you for how you helped me in the last service to bring out the truths of this word. And I pray that you would just Touch ears, ears to hear, understanding to be enlightened, hearts to be challenged and changed. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been on a series um, on There's a Worshipper in You. Today we're going to talk about Jesus in the Tabernacle. Um, and the series that we have been on has centered around the Tabernacle of Moses. And so we'll start right here this, this morning. I just want to kind of point out just a couple of things as... Recapping real quick, um, all of these things have significance. They are patterns of things to come. They are symbols and types of things that are happening here. Some of these are symbols and types of things that's already in the heavenlies. You'll notice that the only entrance into the outer court of the tabernacle, this is the outer court here, this is the inner court, and then up in there would be the Holy of Holies. I have another slide that I'll share in just a moment to show you that in a little more detail. But this is the only entrance in. This signifies Jesus being the only way. He's the way into the presence of God. Jesus is in the way. Jesus is the way to God. There are five pillars here. They're not the same as all these other pillars, even though they are in this picture. But there are five pillars here that signify the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, which is the fivefold ministry. And we'll talk about that in a later, in a later uh, training or teaching. There's an entryway here that is actually, there's a, a, uh, a covering there that has a white on the inside of it, but then on the outside of it there are four different colors. And we're going to be talking about those four colors in the tabernacle today and what they represent. Uh, when you go inside, then you have immediately, when you come inside, you have this right here is known as the brazen altar area. This is where they take the lambs and they offer the lambs up to the Lord. In the Old Testament, the lamb that was uh, offered to the Lord one time a year covered sin. In the New Testament, Jesus being the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world doesn't just cover sin, but he cleanses Sin. So the difference between the blood of this lamb and the blood of Jesus is one covered and the other cleansed. Then you go past that and this is the, this is the bronze laver uh, and this is where, there were, where they would wash themselves. The priests would wash themselves and purify themselves before they went into the holy place. This was filled with water which is a symbol of the washing of the water of the word. There were mirrors on the bottom of it that were actually given to them by some of the women that were working around the temple and they put mirrors. So when the priests were actually there washing themselves and they saw a reflection of themselves and they saw a reflection of heaven beside them which was a symbol, symbolically speaking of when I, when I get involved in the word of God and it begins to wash me and cleanse me then I see myself in ways that I've never seen myself and the Lord begins to expose things that I need to clean up, that I need to wash. And that's all based upon what is happening in the heavenlies. Then we go past that uh, and, and we go to the next frame which is this right here and this would be the holy place. And so this is where they would enter right here. This would be the holy place in the Old Testament tabernacle before this veil was torn in twain then this would have been completely covered up. But this is open so we can look at it. This here on the left hand side is the menorah. That's uh, speaks of the illumination of the scripture, how that the word of God, uh, how that the word of God shines light upon our path. God gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him through the illumination of the scriptures, which across the way here, this is the table of shewbread, which is a type of the word of God. So we've got the we've got the illumination from the word of God. 
Then we go past this and the priest would go past this and they would go to the altar of incense where incense always ascended. This was the altar of worship where incense always ascended to the Heavenly Father. As I pointed out last week, you will notice that Incense always ascends, it never descends. That's the way worship is. Worship always ascends, it never descends. We don't expect God to worship us back. We worship Him, we do not expect Him to worship us back. But we do expect to receive back the results of the worship that we offer to Him. Now the priest, after they uh, had been through the brazen altar and the laver outside and came in here through the cleansing, then they came in here and partook of the shoe bread, which, came, which was one time a year, and then uh, uh, went through there and came to the altar of incense. Then they were prepared to go beyond the veil into the earthly throne room of God, which is the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Cherubim's there. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant we have uh, bread. We have Aaron's rod that budded. We have, uh, we have the, the law, the Ten Commandments, the law. And so that's kind of a picture of, of the Old Testament tabernacle. We've been working on it for a couple of weeks and we've been talking about some of the different significant things and the patterns and the types and the shadows and how that those are things... Of today. Now today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the different colors of the tabernacle, the four prominent colors of the tabernacle. Because the four prominent colors of the tabernacle each point to one particular aspect of the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. Now remember this is a pattern. These are symbols of things that were to come. Not only things that were to come in the day and age in which we live, which is the, day, the age of the church, but there were also symbols of things, and I showed you uh, last week or the week before, how that some of those things are even seen in the heavenlies. The menorah is in heaven. We see that in the book of Revelation. There's different things that's in heaven, altar of incense in heaven. And so these are not just patterns of things that are to come, but they were also patterns of things that were happening in the heavenlies. So today as we talk about these four different colors, we will begin with the color purple, which signifies royalty or the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the person of Jesus. The colors deal with the person of Jesus. The second color is blood, and that is the blood is the color of holy sacrifice. The third color is the color white, which speaks of the righteousness of God, the righteousness of uh, of, of Jesus. And then the fourth color uh, that we have here, heaven, but I like to say that it speaks of the glories of heaven, the ambience of heaven, what's going on in heaven, the atmosphere of heaven. That's what the glory of God is. The glory of God is the manifestation that takes place when the atmosphere of heaven comes into the midst of God's people. That's what the glory of God is. And so we're going to uh, talk about some of these today. So we will begin with the color purple. Somebody say purple. Go to your Bible in the book of your Bible or the device, your device that you have, your, um, I don't know, your uh, phone or whatever, and go to Mark chapter, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And we're going to start talking today about the kingship or the royalty of the Lord and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verses 17 through 18. We'll start at verse 15. So Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed Jesus with purple... And they plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And they began to salute him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. So we see here in this particular passage of Scripture, even in the crucifixion of Jesus, even though some of it was mockery, we see that Jesus was identified as a king. When Jesus came to this earth, 
The Bible said that Jesus came and he left the royalty of heaven and he came to the earth. Jesus was a king when he came to this earth. He clothed himself, he made himself a little lower than the angels and became a man. He clothed himself in humanity and he walked the face of this earth, eventually going down the Via Dolorosa, went through the way of the cross, uh, was, was slain and resurrected on the third day, establishing his place of royalty overcoming death, overcoming hell, overcoming the grave. Hallelujah. We see that, don't we? That's powerful. That's powerful. And so we see that even when Pilate had him there in his hall, they put royal robes upon him, royal colors upon him, and they began to mock him saying, Hail to the king of the Jews. Little did they know that they were accurately offering him worship. Then we go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 8. And the Bible uh, speaks here, the Bible speaks here of, of royalty. The Bible said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife's made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in, 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 in linen and clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Actually, I got that, I got that. Uh, mixed up with another passage of Scripture there. So that's, we're going to deal with that here in just a little bit. So royalty, the color purple, is a sign of royalty and it's the color of a king. Now let me say something about Jesus, okay? Something that a lot of people don't know about, about uh, his, when, when they were bartering for His robe at the foot of the cross. A lot of people are not aware of this. This is one of the reasons, and I know this goes against modern theology... But, you know, I'm just addicted to the Word and so I study the Word and whatever the Word says, that's what I say. That's what I try to say. But this is another reason that I don't believe that Jesus was poor. I think Jesus was wealthy. I think I can prove that in the Scripture, by the way. I think Jesus was wealthy. We want to keep Him poor so we can feel sorry for Him. But Jesus was not poor. One of the reasons I don't think He was poor, one of my defenses, is that the Roman soldiers were bartering for the robe of Jesus at the foot of the cross. They took his robe off and they were bartering for that robe at the foot of the cross. The reason, the Bible says, is because it was woven within and without from the top to the bottom, the top throughout, which means it had absolutely no seams. There were only two types of people that wore those kinds of robes during that time. Number one, it was a royal person or number two, it was someone who was extremely, extraordinarily wealthy. Now, one of the reasons that I think Jesus was so wealthy, and I just feel prompted by my spirit to say this, was because when Jesus was about two years old and they came and found Jesus and Joseph and Mary, they found them in Egypt. The Bible said they went up to the house where he was, the three wise men. I don't want to blow your theology all to pieces, but the three wise men did not show up the night that Jesus was born. You see this, okay? You see the shepherds and the wise men, they didn't show up the night that Jesus was born. They showed up two years later after they had looked for Him for two years and that's why Herod had all of the children who were two years old and younger, all of the young males slain because the wise men showed up when Jesus would have been around two years old looking for the King of the Jews. So the wise men didn't show up that night. I mean, it's, it's pretty and all of that, and it goes along with Christmas, I guess, but the, they didn't show up that night. Well, wise men also didn't travel in packs of three. They traveled in packs of approximately 50. The smallest group of wise men that would travel would be 50 with all of their servants. When they were bringing gifts for a king, each wise man had three different camels. One was the camel they rode on. One was the camel they carried their belongings on. And if they were going to bring a gift to a king, then they would take another camel and put nothing but, go, in this case, frankincense, gold, and myrrh on those camels' backs as much as they could carry. A full-grown camel can carry approximately 900 pounds. So when they showed up, to give Jesus gifts in Egypt, they showed up with a minimum of 50 camels each that had at least 900 pounds of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in today's, 
economy that would have been worth approximately $60 million. Don't tell me that Jesus was poor. Jesus wasn't poor. And so here we are, and I just wanted, I felt I needed to share that with you. And there's a bunch of other reasons I could share that. Get one of my books out there. It talks about it. The Blessing, the, that book on the blessing. But here's the thing that I wanted to share with you. When they were at the foot of the cross, they were bartering for a royal robe. That's why they were bartering for his robe. They didn't want to separate it. They didn't want to tear it because to tear it or to separate it would be to to devalue it and they didn't want to do it. That's another proof that Jesus was royalty. The king of kings came to this earth. He wasn't king of kings in the beginning, but he came to this earth to set up a kingdom of kings and priests and he became the king of kings. And he set, up that, he set that up. And so we see that in purple in the color of the temple. It was a sign of royalty. The next color that we want to talk about is the color scarlet there. The color scarlet is a, is a type and a shadow of holy sacrifice. So when we look there at, that, at, uh, at the, the temple there and we know that it is a shadow of things to come, then we see that red color. It's one of the primary colors. So we go to... First of all, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, verse number 19. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 19. Here's what the Bible says. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. Verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying... This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Now, do you remember last week, I feel prompted to recap this, where when we were talking about the cutting place, where they first cut covenant, after Moses had just given them the law, and so this was the marriage ceremony between God and between the children of Israel. How the, And we know it because he had just given them the law and they didn't have time to break the law yet. So the first covenant that was a cutting covenant where God was saying, I want to be your God and you can be my people. And so... They did that and the Bible said that he took the blood of the lamb, that first lamb, and he sprinkled some upon the people and he sprinkled some upon the altar, enjoining the people and the altar with the sacrifice so the benefits of that sacrifice would flow over to the people. You remember last week when we were talking about that? I want to recap this. Repetition is the key to learning. I want to recap this. This is powerful. When Jesus was on the Via Dolorosa when he was at the whipping post. His blood was being splattered upon the earth. It was being splattered upon humanity. Therefore, it was being splattered upon the people, right? But in the book of Hebrews, the Bible said when he cried, it is finished, the veil in the temple tore in top from bottom. And the Bible said that the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world entered one time into the holy place to do what? Sprinkle the blood of the covenant upon the mercy seat. The place of sacrifice. When he did that, the same blood that was sprinkled upon the people during the course of that sacrifice was now sprinkled upon the earthly throne room of God in the holiest of holies, bringing together the benefits of the sacrifice of that lamb upon the people of the earth. Enjoining us to God. Enjoining us to the blessing of God, enjoining us to the favor of God, enjoining us to the benefits of that sacrifice. So, saying, This is the blood of the testament, this is Moses, which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places 
not holy place, holy places. What's the holy places since Calvary? The Bible said that we are the tabernacle of God. We are the holy places of God. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear into, in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hallelujah. When Jesus went into that holy place in your heart and you accepted Jesus into your life as a born-again believer and the blood of Jesus Christ was applied in the worship area of your heart. When that happened, He put your sin away by the sacrifice of Himself. I'm sorry, that theological anointing gets on. I can't, I can't stand it. I, I'm on per, personal rapture. As it is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment. So Christ was once, not twice, not thrice, once. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So that's what the color... Red stands for, it stands for holy sacrifice. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, uh, verses 9 and 10. <laughs> and they sung a new song. Well, let me, let, let's, let's just go back up for just a moment. Let's look here. Where, where, where can we start? Where's a good place to start? Okay. Let's start at verse 7. A little context here. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb having one of them harps, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing. Hallelujah. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever and the four and twenty beasts said amen and they fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and forever now let's look at this for just a few moments here we're talking about things that are happening the old testament a pattern of things to come a pattern of things in the heavenlies. We see in the heavenlies, they're singing this new song unto the Lord. You're worthy to open the book. You're worthy to op open the seals because you were slain and you have redeemed us by God. This is the elders and, and the, this is the elders and the redeemed saying, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Why is that so significant? Why is it so significant to talk about the kindreds and the people and the tongues and the nations? Why is that so significant? Because when Jesus, when God first came to this earth and he set up shop with Adam and Eve, he picked Israel as his blessed people. The cutting of the covenant last week that we talked about in the establishment of the tabernacle where God says, I have been dating you for over 400 years and I want to marry you now. We talked about that last week. 
We see that. But now, the Bible said out of every kindred and every tongue and every nation. Why is that so significant? Because all that an Old Testament lamb could provide was a covering, not a cleansing, but a covering for the sins of Jewish people only. But when Jesus died on Calvary, he was so pure, he was so spotless, he was so without sin that when he died on Calvary, it opened up the door to the dispensation of grace where we can receive the spirit of adoption and cry, Abba, Father, and become Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And every single thing that God promised Abraham, he promised us. We can have it because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus could provide something that no other lamb could provide. And Jesus, when he died on Calvary, he didn't just die for the Jews. He said, I don't want to just die for just one group of people, but I want to die for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus died on Calvary, it was for the whole world. It was a pattern of things that were going to happen in the heavenlies when the four and twenty elders and the multitudes would bow down and sing the song of the redeemed. And that song was, you've made unto us, our, unto our God, kings. You've made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now I want to ask you this question. When do we reign? I know that a lot of people will say, well, we're going to reign with Christ in the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand years millennial reign. That's true. But let me tell you something. You were created by God to reign right now. You were created by God to rule right now. Later on, if we get time, I'm going to show you that your relationship with the Lord is a lot closer than Abraham's or Isaac's or Jacob's or, or even David's or any of the majors and the minor prophets. Your relationship with the Lord is much closer than that. You have rights, not just family rights, but you have marital rights as the bride of Christ to rule and to reign on the face of this earth because of the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Verse 12, the Bible said they were saying with... Well, verse 11, I beheld, heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and a number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. <laughs> That's the thousands and thousands of the redeemed. The redeemed. The redeemed. Look at your neighbor and say, you are part of the redeemed. The redeemed. Hallelujah. Saying with a loud voice, Hallelujah. That worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And you, you can go on there and you can see that. I've, I've got to stop there because I've got to continue on. The next color that we see here, there's four major colors. you got the purple and we've colored the purple and the, and the red. Now the next major color that we see there is the white. White speaks of the righteousness of God. And this is white's white. I mean, it is, it is extremely white. It is, it, is, it is whiter than bleached white. And I'll share it with you here in just a few moments. I'll kind of share that with you. But it, is, it speaks of perfection and it speaks of righteousness. In Mark chapter 9, turn, turn there. In Mark chapter 9, why do we study these things? The reason we study these things is because it helps us better understand what happened to us the day we got saved. It helps us better understand our position in God. It helps us understand who we are. It also understands the position of the church in modern times. That's why we study these things. And so we look here, we're speaking of the righteousness of God. Matthew, not Matthew, Mark, chapter 9 and uh, verse, verse number Verse number 3, we'll start in 2. After six days, Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John and leads them up into a high mountain apart from themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. 
so as no fuller on earth can white them. His raiment became shining, even exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. He was transfigured before them. Why was he transfigured before them? Peter, James, and John were able to see the position that Jesus had before he ever came to this earth and just his clothes was not of this world. Think about that. He's transfigured before them. He's glistening. He's white. He's shining. I'm going to share something in this service that I didn't share in the last one, and I don't share it very often. Some people would think I'm probably kind of crazy, but at the age of 11 years old, I was in youth camp in Arkansas. And uh, we were poor people. We didn't have a whole lot. Daddy worked hard, but... We were old-time Pentecost and didn't believe in prosperity and things like that. And uh, so we weren't living in prosperity because <laughs> we didn't believe in it. And so Daddy worked hard and, and provided for us, but it was all, always difficult. So we, what would happen is we'd do what we did during the day. And, and by the way, uh, just... This has nothing to do with the message, but I'm going to say it anyway. I got a trophy that year for catching the biggest fish. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But anyways, what would happen is, is we would have, during the day, we'd have times where we would gather together, we'd play ball, we'd have the morning thing, and then at nighttime, we would go to the tabernacle, and us, us kids, we would just give ourselves to God. We would just, God would just move, and my goodness, I mean, it was powerful. Well, um, I didn't have a whole lot of money for the canteen. Afterwards, people would go to the canteen and they'd get little snacks and stuff like that. And I had almost no money at all. So after about the second day, my money was gone. And so everybody else is getting snacks and stuff. And so you had to walk through this field to get back to where the dorms were. And so service was over, but the power of God was so strong on me. It was about the third night in, probably about Wednesday or Thursday night. I don't know. But the power of God was so strong on me, and I didn't have time to go to the canteen, but I was okay with that because I really just wanted to stay in the presence of the Lord. And so service had ended, and I started walking through that field all by myself, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to lay down here in this field, and I'm just going to just spend time with the Lord. Let them go do what they're going to do, but I'm going to lay down in this field. And I lay down in the field, and I looked up into the stars, and with tears streaming down my face, I just began to express to God how much I loved Him. And I had a vision. The Lord gave me a vision that I remember, here we are, 40 plus years later. I'm not going to tell you how many pluses, but 40 plus years later. And the vision that I had was of Jesus in a shining white robe. It was dazzling. Somebody asked me, they said, what did... What did the robe look like? What did he look like? And I told him, I said, I couldn't see too much what his face looked like because of the shiny of the robe. But it, the, the closest thing I could come to is it just looked like crushed white diamonds with light coming from every direction and it was just reflecting back. There was no way to describe it. I think the Lord let me see what he saw, what Peter, James, and John saw in the Mount of Transfiguration. And there was something, and, wow, did that scare you? I said, oh, no, <laughs> made me want to go to him. Made me want to worship. And that's what happened to Peter, James, and John. They said, let's build here three temples right now. Peter's like, let's build three temples, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. We're just going to build three temples. What, what happened? There was something that happened inside of them that made them want to worship. That's what happens when you become made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It makes you want to worship. <laughs> it makes you want to worship. Uh, that's why some people have said, I'm, I'm, you're crazy. You're just so deep in this thing, you're never coming back. You're right. Never coming back. I'm going to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I just want to worship. I just want to know him in the power of his resurrection. So we see this here. And, and the Bible said that his robe was so white as no fuller could make it. That's how white his blood 
cleanses you from sin. Think about this. Think about this. Standing in transcendent glory because of the sacrifice of the spotless Lamb of glory, experiencing Him in His radiance and His splendor and His power and His might and His majesty. And to think, all of that was not done for Him. It was done for me and you. Why? Ready for this? Because you're his bride. You're his bride. Jesus. Help me say the right things and because if I get going here, I, 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 you all be here for three hours and I'm not going to let that happen. But Revelation chapter 3. And he that overcometh, verse 5. And he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. As he is so are we listen in this present world that's the word wow so he is seated at the right hand of the father as the head of the church the fullness of him who fills all in all, clothed in white raiment such as no fuller on earth could make it white, whiter than snow. And then he says, we are one because you are my bride and I will clothe you in white raiment so when you stand up on the earth to declare my name and represent me, that you will carry my glory and my righteousness and my power and your heavenly rights to my kingdom. That's why he told Peter, "You." this is why he told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You're my friend. I'm not going to give you a key to my house, to my kingdom, but my son has it and my daughters have it and my daughter-in-law has it because she's been adopted in, because she's the daughter-in-law and my son-in-law has it because he's been adopted in, because he's my son-in-law. The reason that God gave the keys to the church is because we're his Family. Hallelujah. God didn't give those keys to Abraham. God didn't give those keys to Isaac. God didn't give those keys to Jacob. As much as God loved David, God did not give those keys to David. As much as God loved the major and the minor prophets, God did not give those keys to the majors and minor prophets. No, 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 no. He said, no, 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 no. I love you. You're my friend. You're my neighbor. That's okay. But I got a family coming. I'm getting ready to get married. I got a bride. I have a bride that I went to prepare a place Place for, and I'm going to create an entire city for them. But I got to give them the keys. I'm going to give them the keys. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Wherever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because of the blood. Because of the, our royalty. Because of our righteousness in Him. Our righteousness in Him. Oh, Jesus. Uh, come on now. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Hallelujah. I don't know who it is, but somebody's missing out on this anointing this morning. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. 
And to her was granted. To her was granted. Somebody shout granted. Granted Granted means given to. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Hallelujah. And he said unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. (laughs) Who's the bride? All of those who have given their life to Christ from the moment that Jesus said it is finished and the grave was opened till the time that he says come up hither. We're the bride. Hallelujah. Those of us that are the redeemed, we are redeemed. We are our recipients of the, of the grace of God. Oh, dear God. Dear God. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus birthed the church on Calvary. I shared with you about the blood that he shed down the Via Dolorosa and up Calvary's mountain and how that that was the blood that was for the earth and for the people and the blood that he took into the holiest of holies bringing together and enjoining us to God and the blessings of that sacrifice. I shared that with you. Jesus went into the bowels of the earth when he died, when he came forth. On the third day, the Bible said the veil in the, or not the veil, but the stone was rolled away and Jesus came forth in resurrection power. When Jesus stepped out of the grave, the church was born. Those three days, those three days, you hearing me? Those three days, Heaven was in labor. When they took the spear, pushed it into his side, what came out? Blood and water flowed out. We can't give our lives to Christ unless we're born of the water and of the blood. We have to have a natural birth and a spiritual birth in order to be born again. They took the the spear, put it in his side, blood and water poured out. What happens when a child is getting ready to be born? Water breaks. Jesus went into the bowels of hell. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave. Hallelujah. When Jesus came forward on that third day, not only was the sacrifice finished, but the positioning was finished at that point. And for 40 days he walked the face of this earth. The Bible said proving himself with many infallible proofs. The road to Emmaus when he first started in Luke chapter 24, they said, and one of them was even his uncle Cleopas and he didn't even recognize Jesus. Didn't even recognize him. And they said, did not our hearts, after he was revealed to them, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us by the way. They didn't recognize him until he sat down and actually physically broke bread. And the minute he broke bread, their eyes were opened and they saw him. For 40 days, Jesus ran around. The Bible said he was seen of over 500 brethren, proving himself with many infallible proofs. For 40 days, Jesus went around. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, showing off his new baby. Mm Mm-hmm. This is my church. This is my new bride. Here here it is. Watch it grow. Watch it grow. Watch it grow. Watch it grow. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit came corporately. Just a few days after that, you got Peter standing up preaching in Solomon's temple, in the porch, Solomon's porch, Solomon's porch, preaching there. 3,000 give their life to Christ in one place. 5,000 give their life to Christ in another place. Biblical historians tell us that John Polycarp, who was burned at the stake for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he was the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And Bible historians tell us that that after Jesus died and and rose again and and left and and was ascended into heaven, that after the Holy Spirit came, that within a six-month time frame, there were 60 
5,000 people that gave their life to Jesus in Jerusalem alone. Alone. That's what church historians tell you. Josephus and them. Why? Because when God starts doing something, He doesn't stop. From that, po- from that day until this, there are millions of people who have given their life to Christ. And listen to me very closely. Every single one of them have the distinction of being His bride. Now, I don't have time to get into this very far, but I need to hit this last color. The color is blue. It speaks of heavenly glory. The glory of God in the earth. Exodus chapter 24 and verse number 9 and 10. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as it were a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and did drink. And so we see that there in Exodus 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is our last scripture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then I've got one more slide I'm going to show you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hmm. Verse 45, so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. So we see in this particular passage of scripture. Well, let's just go ahead and read a little bit farther there. It says, as is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption, Behold, I show you a sleep, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on incorrupt, immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption, and this mortal's put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy Sting. The death of the, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58 says this: Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we have a choice to make. The blue is a symbol of the glory of heaven. We can be earthy. Or we can be spiritual. We have a choice. We can take advantage of our positioning, the purple. He's made himself a kingdom of priests, kings and priests in the kingdom of our God. We can make, ourse- we can make ourselves available for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, the holy sacrifice. We can make ourselves available to be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. not something we can do on our own. And we can experience the glory of heaven in our life. Or we can say, believe I'll take a pass on that. I just want to be carnal. I want things my way. I'll do it my way. And we can be earthly. So we see in the pattern of the, even the colors of the tabernacle that we have a choice. Life or death. Life or death. Heaven or hell. Jesus or Satan, Jesus or ourselves, we have that choice to make. I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy for me to make that decision. It's not rocket science. 
living for God is only hard if you want to be your own God. Come on. You're not going to get stuff around here that's going to be sugar-coated and powdered. I'm going to tell you how it is. I love you too much to let you walk out, out the door. And... You're not going to play games. We ain't playing games. We're dealing with eternal things here. Living for God is only hard if you want to be your own God. But when we surrender to Him, to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, then we can be made the righteousness of God we can receive the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, the blood that continues to cleanse. We can experience our positioning as royal with Him and we can live in the glory. Now let me say this real quick. This is the last slide and then we're going to have you stand. Well, in fact, you can go ahead and stand if you'd like. In Matthew's Gospel, go ahead and stand. In Matthew's Gospel, we find that the color purple corresponds as he addresses the Jews and presents Christ as the King of Israel. So in the first, now understand, the first, the major, the primary colors of the Old Testament tabernacle are reflected in the meanings every single, the first four, uh, the first four Gospels of the first of the New Testament, the meanings of those colors are reflected in the first four Gospels. Number one, the, the color purple, King of Israel. Matthew talks about him being king. Mark talks about him as a suffering servant as he's actually address, addressing mainly the Romans. Luke presents Christ to the Greeks which were the scholars of the day that would stand. There were the philosophers of the day and he presents Christ as righteous and the one who will make you the righteousness of God in Christ. And then John introduces Jesus to us, to the church. He introduces Jesus to us as the glorified heaven sent, son of God, the eternal creator, and that is represented by the color blue. Did you learn something today? Man. Such an anointing on this stuff. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes as Charles gives us a little song here. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorse.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.